0: I wonder how much control you feel you have over your emotions. I need to make sure I'm not making eye contact with anyone in particular <laughs> when I ask that question. Do, do, we have, do you have control over what you feel? This is probably not a yes or no answer. It's probably more of a, on a scale of one to 10, how much do you feel you have control over your emotions? are there particular emotions, or put it another way are there particular emotions which you find it easier or more difficult to control the reason I ask this is because the question is raised by the final passage in Philippians, in Philippians 4 where Paul tells the Christians rejoice in the Lord always I will say it again, rejoice let your gentleness be evident to all The Lord is near. So notice the way that Paul began there. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice, he says. And unless we understand the word rejoice in a a very sort of barren way indeed, rejoicing has to have some emotional content, doesn't it? It looks very much like Paul is telling the Philippians and by extension us to feel something. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. And not just at particular times in church when the music is going well. Rejoice in the Lord always. That sounds like a pretty tall tall order, doesn't it? Well, in Philippians, Paul gives us a number of reasons, both to motivate us to be joyful in the first place and to hang on to that joy that we have Uh, even in the face of things that can threaten to rob us of our joy. And that's what we're looking at, particularly this evening, uh, in Philippians. So following on from Julian's uh, wonderful series on uh, Philippians, this is a sort of refresher, a kind of overview, which draws some key points, one from each chapter, which motivate us to hang on to our joy in Christ. Even when we despair of ourselves, when we feel disappointed when we lose hope and when we feel far from Christ those four sort of states that we can find ourselves in are find I think helpful responses in each of the four chapters in Philippians so first when we despair of ourselves we'll look at what Philippians chapter 1 says in response to this I don't know about you but I suspect that many of us who have been Christians for any, any length of time at all can sometimes despair of ourselves, can sometimes just get really frustrated by the fact that we sin all the time, the extent of sin in our lives. I often think to myself, why can't I be more disciplined about prayer? Why, can't I, why do I often think there are more urgent things in the morning than reading the Bible? Why am I so easily distracted from God? Our hearts and habits are so far from even our own stand, where our own standards want them to be, let alone what God might want them to be. Now, of course, the Bible gives us an answer to this problem, of course. The Gospel tells us that Christ died for our sins of omission and commission, and that he rose again, and so we uh, have peace with God through the good news. We're... Holy people, not because we are holy in ourselves, but as Graham was mentioning at the beginning of Colossians today and the beginning of Philippians as well, we're God's holy people in Christ Jesus. It's by being attached to Christ that we have holiness. But Philippians 1 doesn't actually major on that. Paul focuses on reassuring the Philippians another way. And this comes in the, uh, in, in the first chapter. In verses four to six, where Paul writes, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That's a verse that through my Christian life I found immensely helpful, uh, that last verse in particular, where where Paul says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God has begun to work in us if we have faith in Christ. And he's chosen us, he's called us, he's justified, he's done that already. And the key thing is that he's not like us. He doesn't get distracted. He doesn't go upstairs and... uh, Forget what he's gone up upstairs for. He doesn't sort of go onto his computer to send someone a message and get distracted by an Amazon sort of tweet or something. Um, No, he's much more like Magnus Magnusson. Now that may not 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 mean much to some of you, but some of you are are, are, are way ahead of me. Magnus Magnusson used to present a quiz show, and he used to fire sort of rapidly questions at people for two minutes. And over these two minutes, uh, when the end end of the two minutes came, the the buzzer would go, beep, 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 and uh, and you think, well, it's the end of the round. But if Magnus Magnuson, when he was asking the question to the contestant, was in the middle of it, then he would always say, I've started, so I'll finish, and then he'll carry on the question. So that's God's attitude to us. I've started, so I'll finish. That's the wonderful truth, that he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. All the way through the Bible, we see God doing this. We see this in the Old Testament, with his people collectively and with individual Israelites, like Elijah, when he's depressed and exhausted at the end of 1 Kings 18. God sends his power to Elijah. Or in the New Testament, in the case of Peter, Christ says to Peter, you are my rock and on this rock I will, fa- I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And then Peter goes and betrays Christ, denies him three times. And yet Christ perseveres with Peter. And in church history and with us, God acts in the same way. And we've got that same God. It's, that's still him who's carrying on the work in us. And that's a great reason to rejoice, that whatever the state of our hearts might be, however much we might despair of ourselves, we can be confident that he who began a good work will carry it on to completion. God says, I've started, so I'll finish. So just to solidify this, we're going to memorise Philippians 1.6, okay? Um, Hayley, have we got the uh, verse on the screen? Yeah, so it's the, it's the verse in bold There. So altogether, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Okay, one more time with the screen up. Okay. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Okay, let's have a go uh, on our own. Okay, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Okay, one more time. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Okay, that's pretty good. Well done. well, I hope that wonderful assurance from God will stay with you. When, and it's a useful verse to know when we're feeling shaky or fragile or frustrated, that we can remind ourselves of who God is and how He acts in us. Secondly, when we're disappointed. In addition to feeling despair about ourselves sometimes, we can be disappointed about the state of the world outside. And I don't just mean sort of death and destruction. That we so often see around us in the news, but the state of the fact that there are so many people around us, who we love, our friends and family, who don't know Christ, and I know that that can cause real heart- heartache for people. I remember when I was a, f- a first-year um, student, and I, inv- I invited a fellow classist uh, called Alex, uh, who was a student at Trinity. I invited him to come to church. And I thought earlier in the week that he'd said he would, and so I went went, went around at sort of five thirty or whenever it was to his room, and um, and he said, uh, "Oh no, sorry, sorry, I don't want to come." Um, that sort of, thing, and I remember walking back to back to King's um, and feeling really depressed and thinking, "You know, can I really carry on doing this all my life? You know, inviting people and getting um, turned down like this?" Perhaps you've had something like this experience, praying for for people for a long time inviting them. It's wonderful to hear that um, so many people came to ARU events, and I don't want to sound all sort of doom and gloom, um, but we can, we can get disheartened by when we invite people and they don't come, and I hope that doesn't happen over the next couple of weeks with the KikU, uh events week and with uh, the Hope Festival, as it's now been christened by Steve. <laughs> <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, Well, if we ever do experience that kind of disappointment, it's worth hanging on to the the wonderful promise that God makes through Paul in Philippians 2, verses 9 to 11. Andrew's read this already. Philippians 2, 9 to 11. Therefore, God exalted him, that's Christ, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, So that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So this passage gives an amazing promise of the future where everyone will eventually realize who Christ is. Every subterranean knee and every terrestrial knee and every heavenly knee will bow (laughs) uh, and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father and Paul's not being sort of glib here Paul knows what it is to experience that struggle, that agony the difficulty of the Christian life in in verses, if you look back to uh, chapter 1 If you've got a Bible in front of you, if you look back to chapter 1, you can see in verses 13 and 14, Paul talks about being in chains. And then in verse 17, he talks about how people, while he's in chains, other people are stirring up trouble for him. And then in that last verse, in chapter 1, he talks about struggle. Christian ministry, Christian life is a struggle. So Paul knows knows what it's like to go through this disappointment, this difficulty, but he doesn't let them overwhelm him. Instead, he knows that one day every knee will bow to Christ. And so he doesn't have to uh, let his disappointment overwhelm him. So carry on inviting people and carry on praying for people because we can hold out that wonderful vision of the future in which every knee will bow to Christ. Beyond that struggle, there is that future in which Christ's supremacy will be recognised by everyone. Of course, that means that there will be some people who are excluded from the glory, who will acknowledge Christ's lordship reluctantly, even raging against him still. But Paul doesn't focus on that. Paul focuses on the destiny of Christians and the everlasting life which overcomes all our disappointments. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess, acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. Isn't that that fantastic? Thirdly, when we lose hope it's pretty universally acknowledged by philosophers and psychologists and just ordinary people, that human beings need hope. And yet there are so many things which for us as Christians can threaten that hope that we have in Christ. If we lose someone, a loved one dies, or uh, we or a loved one receive a sort of devastating medical diagnosis or it doesn't even need to be some, something that happens, it can just be the state that we find ourselves in we can uh, find ourselves getting old and our, our bodies and minds aren't working like they used to we can find singleness frustrating or loneliness frustrating or feel frustration with our, our gender identity or our sexuality or maybe you're just worried about about Eden and you know how we're going to Cope without Julian if there's anything that robs us of our joy it's things like that that threaten our hope and this is where Philippians 3 comes in because Philippians 3 presents an even more expansive vision of the future for us even, even more expansive than what we saw there in chapter 2 in those three verses from chapter 2 so if you've, got a, if you've got a Bible, turn to Philippians 3 and we'll begin at verse 10. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like, in his, in his, like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already attained all this or have already arrived at my goal, But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do. Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And then skipping on to verse 20. Our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they'll be like his glorious body. Isn't that remarkable that our bodies will resemble that of Christ, that he'll transform us into his own likeness? And that's the hope that we've got waiting for us, that prize. There was a point a couple of months ago when Vladimir Zelensky announced that he no longer wanted peace. I don't know if you remember that speech that he gave in December. He said, well, he he, he wrote that he no longer wants just a ceasefire, he wants victory to regain Crimea and to retake the occupied Donbass region in the east of Ukraine. Zelensky proclaims Ukraine is on its way to the victory that generations of our people have dreamed of. Well, even more so, God doesn't just promise us peace or an absence of pain, however however great that a mere absence of pain would be for many of us. But our future as Christians is, again, not just an absence of struggle. That can come with just dying and staying dead no we have a promise of victory that confident expectation of a glorious future attaining to the resurrection from the dead, forgetting what is behind and straying towards what ahead, what's ahead Paul talks about this prize I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards and not just resuscitated or beefed up bodies but Bodies that are transformed by Christ's power into his own likeness. Wow. We saw this morning that hope inspires love and faith in Graham's sermon this morning. And hope also inspires joy. It also drives our joy. Just to step back for a minute, I don't want to imply that feeling that that feeling that joy is easy. Obviously, sometimes knowing that joy can be very difficult, can be tough, especially if we've experienced any kind of trauma or clinical depression. Now, I don't have any expertise, so I'm not going to try and uh, um, give extensive advice here. I don't have any expertise in dealing with uh, clinical conditions uh, or extreme distress of that kind. I do remember, though, Julian saying that when he was struggling with his mental health really badly he made an effort really to say the Lord's Prayer every day and that's all he felt he could manage similarly, and this is only a suggestion if you're um, really struggling you might think about whether to just try and read Philippians 1.6 the verse we remem- memorised or one of these verses from Philippians 3 about the future uh, as much as we can manage But even if not, know that God is still holding on to you. So finally, when we don't feel close to Jesus, let me just read over the words we began with. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. If we don't feel close to Jesus, we can just remember those four words at the end of verse 5. The Lord is near. Christ is near to us. When Paul uses the uh, title Lord, he almost always uses it to refer to Christ rather than God the Father. And the key to understanding what Paul is getting at here is that he's reassuring the Philippians that the Lord is near, verse 4, sorry, verse 5. And as a result, verse 6, as a result of the Lord being near, we can bring our requests to God. We can bring our requests to God. Paul is saying that Christ is near to us, and so we can pray to him. We can rejoice in his Closeness in His presence with us. Jesus isn't just near in the sense that, as God, He's omnipresent either. He's near because He's made a way for us into His presence through His death on the cross. We have access into uh, to, to fellowship with Him as a result, and that's true even when we don't feel near to Christ. C.S. Lewis talks about uh, what he calls the law of undulation. The law of undulation is that our feelings go up and down and virtually the only thing that's constant about us as human beings uh, is that we undulate like a wave, uh, um, that means. And um, I I don't know if you've ever read C.S. Lewis's book, The Screwtape Letters. It's one of the best books I've ever read. Um, and I've read it many times and uh, also listened to the marvellous audio book where it's read by John Cleese uh, who uh, has that sort of uh, appropriate voice for it um, because the Scrooge Letters is a series of letters from a senior devil to a junior devil advising the junior devil how to tempt human beings and it, it, it has wonderful psychological uh, insight in it uh, into the... Um, the, into the minds of how Christians can get led astray, basically. Uh, so it's a very uh, um, past, really helpful book. In, in, uh, um, in this book, Screwtape, who's the, the name of the uh, senior devil, writes as following, follows, Humans are amphibians, half spirit and half animal. As spirits, they belong to the eternal world, but as animals, they inhabit time. This means that while their spirit can be directed to an eternal object, their bodies, passions and imaginations are in continual change. For to be in time means to change. Their nearest approach to constancy is therefore undulation, the repeated return to a level from which they repeatedly fall back a series of troughs and peaks. Now, remember, this is a devil writing. He says to his uh, um, apprentice, if you had watched your patient carefully, you would have seen this undulation in every department of his life. His interest in his work, his affection for his friends, his physical appetites all go up and down. As long as he lives on earth, periods of emotional and bodily richness and liveliness will alternate with periods of numbness and poverty. So again, whether we feel close to Christ... not, is something which is subject to this law of undulation. Even if we don't feel close to Christ, he really is near us. Now, although um, Lewis calls it a law, or Screwtape calls it a law, it's not a law that we're absolutely bound by. We can't completely escape it, but we're not completely shackled by it either. We can't just sort of... Have a sort of fatalistic um, attitude that, well, you know, this—I'm at a low low peak in the trough, uh, low, low trough in the uh, in the wave at the moment. We can focus our attentions on good things, which can bring us up in up, up in the wave, and on negative things, which can lead us into a downturn. Again, not that we have complete control over our, over our emotions, but that we can put ourselves in the way of good things. If we read the Gospels, for example, we can see Christ forgiving a paralysed man and healing him. The Lord is near to us as well. We can see Christ calming a storm. The Lord is near to us as well. Christ walking on water, trampling the waves of the sea. That same Christ, the Lord, is near to us as well. So as I say, I don't want to imply that we have complete control over our emotions, but we can put ourselves in the paths of good things, which can give us joy. And it's when we feel those that joy ebbing away perhaps or threatened then we can ask the Lord, the Lord is near therefore present your positions to him, we can ask the Lord not to let something rob us of our joy, that's something I find helpful sometimes when I'm irritated or uh, feeling down about something I can say to myself I'm not going to let this rob me of my joy in Christ can you remember Philippians 1.6 Time for a bit of a revision. We can rejoice being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Hold on. We can also hold on to the hope of Philippians 2, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every knee in heaven, on, on earth, and under the earth, that at the name of Jesus... Every knee will bow and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And the hope of Philippians 3, attaining resurrection from the dead, pressing on towards the goal to the prize for which God has called us heavenward in Christ Jesus. And we eagerly await a saviour from heaven The Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. These are wonderful things to look ahead to. And leaving leaving aside even that for a moment, in the present, we've seen in Philippians 4 that the Lord is near. Right now, Jesus Christ is near us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, too often our, our hearts are indifferent to you and distracted from you. We pray that your spirit would work in us to fill us with that joy. That joy, that rejoicing in Christ, rejoicing in the Lord always. We pray that you'd help us when we find things which threaten our joy. That we would turn to you and seek your restoration of us. Lord, we pray, restore to us the joy of our salvation.